Hello again from 420 on the Block in Denver, Colorado. I'm Dr. Brian Hewlett and also Dr. Life. And we'll talk about life in a little bit when we come back. But uh, one of the wonderful things about life is the fact that we can be sitting on the couch, hanging out with some really, really incredible people. So uh, before we talk about uh, what we're getting into, I want these incredible people to kind of uh, let us know who they are. So why don't we start over here? Thank you, Brian. Uh, my name is Andrew Livingston. I'm the Director of Economics and Research at Vicente Cedarburg. Uh, and we are a national cannabis business law firm uh, and policy house. So I do all sorts of interesting work from talking to government officials about how to structure cannabis regulation and tax policy to helping businesses identify the most opportune place to put forward their investment and helping them get licenses and, and project what their business might look like. Awesome. Well, welcome. Thank you, Brian. Cool. Um, Steve with Steve's Goods. We uh, sell CBD products. I'm a hemp educator. I like to go around and educate people on hemp and CBD and how it can benefit your body and answer any questions that people have. And we're here today as a sponsor and our booth is out here. Um, and we're just here educating and giving people samples and letting people try CBD because once they try it, then they're their own believer and then they can tell other people and how it can help them and help their bodies. So that's me. Nice. And I'm Tyler with Steve's Goods and Forward Momentum. Uh, I help Steve with sales and uh, just business development, event coordination, and things like that to just push the education and keep Steve where he needs to go. Keep Steve where he needs to go. Wow. I need one of those. Actually, I do. <laughs> Today, anyway. <laughs> but anyway, welcome all of you guys uh, to the. Uh, podcast today, and we're discussion today rather, and we're gonna um, talk a little bit about uh, what to do with your weed money, because uh, as you all know, there's an issue these days with uh, in terms of the uh, industry, the marijuana industry, and what we as or people who are business owners uh, can do. There's a lot of limitations out there on what's possible. Uh, business owners can't often utilize banks uh, because of the fact that those are federally uh, backed agencies and there's issues relative to that. So that means people, what do people do with that money that they make? They have to either pay their employees in cash or they can't like invest the same way that people who have US dollars or Japanese yen or whatever have you may be able to uh, do so this is what our discussion point is today so I thought I would invite you all in to see what uh, you think about this and so uh, uh, first question I would ask is have you uh, in your businesses or your sectors uh, have heard of any kind of issues or had any issues yourself relative to trying to utilize the, the financial capital that you've gained Based on yeah, definitely. Um, I know one of the labs we work with, uh, they recently got a letter from Wells Fargo saying that they can't bank with them anymore. They gave them 30 days and they have to find a different solution. Uh, we, uh, we have a credit union that we work with uh, for a lot of our online sales and things have been going great. But we also have uh, a bank account that is approved for marijuana and for hemp. Uh, it's just how it's coded and it's approved through the bank. Um, and so that's just kind of how we have to do it. And it doesn't make it as easy uh, as just managing your money. Um, you know, it's just it's it's set up for success in this industry because there's no regulations, uh, and I think there's gonna be a lot more of those things popping up. 
Um, and you know, actually, I should give them a shout out. Expo, Atlantis, Greenlink, Greenlink, yeah. Tony Harper, Kit, our boy Larry. But, Thank you. But it's Alliance Financial Expo. They're crushing it right now. They've been really helping us out uh, with managing our money, and, and they're a really great banking system. And I know just in this industry, like you have to be able to trust your bankers. You have to be able to talk to them, and they have to know what you're doing. And it's really hard to, to work with a bank that doesn't know what you're doing, especially when you're you know paying other companies and you're receiving money. And you know it's uh, it's not cool for us to feel like we're you know criminals. In this no, industry. yeah, secondhand citizens. Yeah. we're actually mm-hmm. doing uh, or being involved in an industry that's actually legal, especially in the state of Colorado. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, in the other states that it's legal. So you said uh, your bank account was coded. Is that kind of another term for, like, you have like a, a scarlet letter kind of that says <laughs> this is a weed account or, or was that what you? Uh, yeah, we're we're our our dollars are coded in as credit. So we're not actually we don't actually have dollars in our account. We have credit in our account. It's like now, rupees. Yeah, it's like rupees. <laughs> like rupees. Now for for us it's a lot easier because we're just a CBD company. But they actually also work with marijuana dispensaries and they do cash pickups and stuff. Um, so you know. You know, there there are some options there, but again, it's not like you can walk into this bank. It's all online. It's an online only bank. And, you okay. Know. Yeah, I, I can break down a little bit of the history of cannabis banking and where that came about because there are actually specific designations that banks are required to do under some guidance put out by FinCEN, which is uh, the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. It's a sub department of the Department of Treasury as far as banking guidance for compliance under those memos. So. Uh, as you guys probably know, in 2013, um, the Cole memo uh, was put forward by Deputy Attorney James Cole at the time. This was okay. Obama's Deputy Attorney General, um, and they put forward that you know famous document that, that really kind of helped pave the way for our full adult use legalization systems in states like Colorado and Washington, Oregon, and others to transcend uh, their concerns about enforcement. Um, now, of course, that Cole memo was pulled recently uh, by a current attorney general, uh, Jeff Sessions. Now, that first Cole memo passed, uh, not passed, but was put forward in about August of 2013. Okay. February of that, uh, of that next year. So this actually came out on Valentine's Day, so it's called the Valentine's Day memo. FinCEN, which is a different department, so you've got Department of Treasury, you've got Department of Justice, different different uh, cabinet, different cabinet <laughs> branches of uh, yeah of the federal bureaucracy, yeah. right? And so um, FinCEN, which is uh, underneath uh, the Treasury Department, put out guidance. It pretty much said to banks, it said banks, you can bank with cannabis businesses compliantly pursuant to the Cole memo. You know, and that had those eight federal priorities of what you know you need to make sure that your clients are not engaging in. What you'd have to do is put forward certain requirements under federal law because cannabis is still legal under federal law, even when this coal memo was out there. Even you know the FinCEN memo is still around. So the the requirement for banks is that any time you're dealing with cannabis, it's money laundering. And so under the Bank Secrecy Act, which passed in the 1980s. You have to put forward what's called the suspicious activity report. So anytime you're depositing more than ten thousand dollars in cash, uh-huh. the bank has to put forward that SAR. They're called SARs. Um, anyway, and if they know that it's a proceed of an illegal activity, they have to put forward a suspicious activity report. So what the FinCEN memo did is said, okay, we're going to give you give you specific designations for these 
suspicious activity reports that you have to put forward. So it's been one, it's called Marijuana Limited, which pretty much means that your cannabis, this is a cannabis client, but they're not doing anything wrong. Is marijuana, um, there's marijuana terminated, which is uh, you're terminating that client. Okay. And then there was a I'm, I'm blanking on the on the the second one, but essentially like this is a it's a concern. Um, so a flag. A, a flag, flag. A flag. Yeah. But any time a bank that is federally regulated, right? Because banks through FinCEN, through the Department of Treasury, through the uh, Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, through the Federal Reserve, there is like a half a dozen or more different federal bureaucracies that touch even credit unions that are only chartered in, in, this, uh, in the states uh, and, and don't really do business outside of those states. So you really, you really would, it's, you deal with this federally anyway. So they have to, when anytime they're dealing with a cannabis business, they put forward these suspicious activity reports. It's actually really interesting data that FinCEN puts out on how many of these activity reports have been submitted by how many different banks. So we actually know how many different banks across the country are dealing with cannabis businesses. So this uh, two things that stick out. One That's is, yeah. is the, 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 the $10,000 uh, uh, flag yeah. that says... That applies to everything. Not That's what weed. I was going to ask. So is this $10,000 flag just something that is cannabis-applied related, or is it no. to anything that comes in? Yeah. So where, what is the basis for that, one, that the government decides that if I have a $10,000 transaction, that it is a problem? That, that would be one follow-up I'd like to have. But then I would also like for you to kind of make sure that we know what those eight things of what you're doing would be considered. Okay, yeah. Doing wrong. I mean, it's, okay, so um, the, the $10,000 in cash is just a requirement under the Bank Secrecy Act. I'm not sure if it was originally $10,000, whether that was changed in regulation over a period of time. Because, of course, $10,000 in the 1980s is worth a lot different amount of money than $10,000 now. Uh, I'm not as familiar with how that pay, may have potentially changed, but it's all, you know, cash is a concern for the federal government when it comes to money laundering, right? Because right. cash is cash. It's hard to know where that cash came from unless you're scanning it to see, like, what fingerprints it has on it or, you know, whether or not it's got... All, almost all, co you know, cash so, has drug residue on it anyway, so even, regardless of whether it was used a $10, for A $10,000 cash transaction. Yeah. So if yeah, I run my money through the bank instead yeah. and have a ten thousand dollar credit, it was in, it's not a it's not a uh, it's not a flag. Um, yeah, I mean I'd have to look specifically into that. Uh, but it's it's a lot of like yeah cash deposits over. And if you're trying to structure underneath it, let's say like if you go in every week and you're depositing like nine thousand five hundred dollars in cash, like that's also illegal because it's called structuring. It's a different. Mm -hmm. You're trying to structure your way so, around those. We'll yeah, but these are all that, like, that, that these are complex rules and laws a, unassociated with weed. A strange situation to, to basically, because I, I, I doubt if if someone like Bill Gates walks in and does a uh, $10,000 cash transaction, say for a, a car or mm -hmm. uh, a, a truck for his business, that they're going to to flag that. I mean, yeah, I mean call me crazy, but... Yeah, so so again, that would all cut, you know come down to the banking compliance. But so many of these suspicious activity reports are are filed that it's like you know it just kind of gets funneled in. But what's interesting is that because there's this memo that puts forward a specific requirement for banks as far as how to flag this, it just becomes a different way for the Treasury Department to, to track eight eight federal priorities. So eight federal priorities come from the Cole memo. So these are things like don't sell to minors. Okay. Not selling to minors, uh, ensuring that cannabis is not 
uh, enabling criminal activity or the proceeds of cannabis are not being sent back to criminal actors. The cannabis is not being grown on public lands. Cannabis is not being trafficked with uh, firearms and violence. Um, and then there's a number of other little things. It's pretty much what we would think about as keeping cannabis and the harms of cannabis away from our society, okay. making sure that cannabis is not um, going to kids, that the money from cannabis is not going to cartels or other criminals. Um, and these eight federal priorities um, are kind of still around insofar as they apply to the FinCEN memo, because that wasn't pulled. Because even you know, Jeff Sessions can't pull a memo that's put out by a different department. But, so I, I want to clarify. So that same, the same set of priorities, in other words, you shouldn't sell to minors. Yeah, the uh, banks should, have to do due diligence right. on their so own if, customers, which if, gets hard. Uh, a tobacco company from North Carolina yeah. is doing a $10,000 transaction. They have to fit those things as well. Well, if, if, if a tobacco company were to deposit $25,000 in cash in a bank, that bank would have to file a suspicious okay. injury report. That's, anyway. that's, it's, what, that's what I'm yeah. Is it true that banks also, like... You know, they're only allotted a certain amount of high-risk clients per bank. Like a percentage of their clients are it's allowed. Probably to be like depends high risk. upon what their regulators mm -hmm. have specific comfort for. I don't know that uh, specifically, but I would imagine that different, you know, state regulators and then different regional regulators for different types of banks, mm -hmm. based upon their size, this gets into things that are kind of unassociated with cannabis, mm. but are also simultaneously very complex. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Tyler, you got the, the last uh, the determination of whether you, where you've seen problems with the, the cash situation or the, the beat money situation. Do you have some examples you want to talk about? You know, I think overall, like CBD and hemp and all the things in the cannabis industry overall, it just it's a lot of these mom and pop shops are starting up and they're doing it right and they're very well regulated but all it takes is for like one transaction on your cash app or your venmo or any of those things to come through that says cbd on it and it's like a flag word so people are getting all their processors shut down you know like square and paypal and all those things that people usually use to you know have their little shops and their e-commerce situation work together and a lot of people get these shut down. We've dealt with it over and over and over again, and we finally reached a situation with GreenLink where they're really helping us out. But you know, all of our clients deal with it. Everybody that we've worked with, we all like are working together to like try to share these funds so we can get the medicine to the people. And it's like been a real struggle trying. Just in this couple of months of growth that we've experienced, we've gotten shut down from like what three or four different processors and too many yeah wow. it's just like and then they hold like thousands of dollars from us for months and months and literally we applied for one that was like you know you can be cbd you can be a cbd company and you're good to go with us and then we were up for like what like a month and then month they and took they took like 12 grand and held it for like six months from us it's like so might this really hard yeah might this be a ploy to you know because banks i mean let's face it what banks financial institutions are are about trying to get money and hold on to that money so that they can uh, use it to invest in their own uh, situations. My, I mean, just thought process across here that I'm hearing because I'm also hearing these regulations that are supposedly uh, uh, for all situations, but you know, it, it seems like this memo yeah. is geared towards specifically this, and and I don't very much hear other uh, you know uh, business situations where we you can't take your money and. So, I mean, there are actually other underbanked and unbanked industries, really. So, like, you know, cannabis businesses are not, don't, it's not like they have no banking access, but you have 
banking insecurity and lack of different options for your banks, right? So there's like only a few, in any state, there's usually like less than a handful of banks that will openly work with cannabis accounts. And oftentimes they aren't accepting new clients. And so it's like, where do you go if you get kicked out of your bank is the hard thing to do with. But I mean, uh, other sort of companies that are taboo, other industries that are taboo, but also have a, deal with a lot of cash, similarly have these problems, although it's not as bad because they're not federally legal. So uh, payday lenders, uh, like cash for gold sort of things like that. The Kratom guys. Uh, Kratom, well, yeah, Kratom. So other sort of kind of herbal supplement um, dealers. Um, and, you know, Kratom is a little different than that, uh, but I'll kind of include that within that realm. CBD, uh, which, you know, is distinctly different from a legal perspective than the marijuana licensees that are going to be, you know, advertising in a place like this uh, and sponsoring events like this. Um, but also uh, pawn shops, things like that, they oftentimes also have problems uh, with kind of their banking access and things like that. So it's, it's kind of like a general taboo. Uh, in dealing with this industry and it's um, but what's interesting you're talking about you know Square or you know, other sort of payment processors it's kind of really important to realize that the banking issue and the money issue although very connected are actually two different issues okay. because like you could have a bank account and still have to only deal with cash because the problem is is that Visa MasterCard Discover and the other credit card companies they're private companies, and they can decide, and all of them have, that we're just not going to deal with cannabis businesses. And so you end up with a situation in which you're still having a lot of cash that's coming into the system. And that's not going to change because it's not like the federal government can require a visa to start working with the cannabis business. Right. And so the places where you can deal and buy, you know, where you can buy cannabis products without having to pay in cash, those are all kind of cashless ATM systems. Um, and so you're not using your credit card, you're using your debit card. And then how they deal with that depends upon um, what type of payment processor they're working with, how honest that payment processor is to their regulators, how honest they're being to their payment processor. There's a little bit different there. Okay. So uh, I guess where I, I want to move to then is that let's talk about, you know, yeah, we've got this serious uh, description of structural limitations right that is related to to financial funds uh, for uh, cannabis related or uh, marijuana related businesses today uh, so what what might be a solution or what do you, what, what is actually possible for people to do so far before we even get to solutions to the to the issues of the, of the structural situation so you're saying things like uh, people can't use visas uh, people can't um, you know, uh, do certain transactions. Um, but if there are transactions that are legitimate, you know, like, hey, if I want to need to buy a warehouse and I'm, uh, or need to rent a warehouse uh, and, uh, and I'm uh, a business that's cannabis or CBD related or marijuana related in some way, um, that's a legitimate expense, right? Um, and I don't have credit because I'm, I, I, yeah. I have a cannabis-related business. How do I go about doing that transaction without being considered laundering? I mean, get um, an Expo account. Right. Hook right. up with our guys at Expo. So how do they do create an account that's not going to be? They, they, they've actually worked out a system with, is it, I think Bank of America? And it's an aggregate account. So it's like 
they have this one account that all of the funds go into and all of our transfers have a memo on them it, has, it says like Steve and it's a bunch of numbers so when you initiate the wire you're actually sending it to their aggregate account but the memo initiates like alright this is who this money is actually supposed to go to and they have a series of memos on all of their transfers and they just know where those credits are supposed to be delivered and that's kind of where we are now we have like the cash goes to expo they give us credits and then we need to use it they transfer that and there's like you know that currency exchange kind of okay so it is some sense a uh, a credit union kind of bank situation that you are relative so what you're what you're saying is that these guys create a situation where cash is contributed to an account and then you uh, do basically transactions within that account to each other yeah and ultimately if we can get all the people in the industry that we work with on this account it's super easy this to just is, credit to credit just exchange and it's all staying in there and we don't have to worry about that this is where I, I, I will come in because I, I just sat on a panel of uh, uh, cryptocurrency so we'll, You're at we'll, the we'll come back conference? to that. Uh, actually, not the one here. But okay. uh, there was, uh, I was at Lucidity Festival and had cool. a really good situation. And uh, we are talking about, we are not talking, we are developing a, a, an alt currency for the festival system. But I, I really believe that alt currencies systems are exactly what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And we can get back to that. Um, but before we do, is there anything uh, else that you guys want to add in terms of what is actually happening that people can do? Uh, now yeah. in the structural limited system to actually uh, other than create a you know user credit so cash account. <clears throat> first the first thing I would say is you know you talk about like a legitimate transaction where a cannabis company wants to buy a warehouse or rent yep. a warehouse it's definitely a legitimate transaction but it's not actually a legal transaction from the eyes of the federal government because anytime you're working with a cannabis business that is the proceeds of an illicit activity and you, that is money laundering Right, but if it's within the state, if if I if, if it's within the sure, state, that's sure. Legal. So if, if we are, you know, uh, Steve has a warehouse and it's legitimate for sale. And it might not. It might not be <coughs> considered illicit activity under state law, but the bank that's dealing with all of this stuff federally, it still has to be burdened under those federal laws and has to be compliant under those federal laws. And so, you know, as you were mentioning. The best thing for any of these cannabis businesses to have happen is really for the partners that we work with, whether or not it's a company like that, um, or you know, there's lots of other ones, uh, companies like Hyper Ventures, companies like um, uh, Guardian Data Systems, and other things like that that deal with the payment side of the cannabis industry. They need to be talking and working out with the banks, right? Because the best thing to have happen is for you know, because really the ultimate processor in the company that you're talking about is is Bank of America, mm -hmm. and so it's all about having the the intermediaries that are dealing with cannabis cash and capital to these big banks to have just an information flow and a knowledge flow so that we can create structures. Because part of the problem is is that there's not that many of these things that last for a while. You know, there's there have been companies like that that have, that. Have, dealt with you know a single bank and they've got a structure that's working and then that bank there's Bank of America or Citibank or whatever just decides to say you know nope we're actually not going to do this and then all of a sudden everyone loses their accounts right so it's about having more intermediaries that work with the cannabis companies work with their that's banks that they're used to working with and make sure those structures not only exist but last 
So I, 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 you, you, the solution, what I'm hearing is, it's definitely uh, connected to what we are trying to suggest with uh, <coughs> uh, the cryptocurrency that we're, I mean, excuse me, uh, alt currency. It's crypto because it's electronic, obviously. But uh, the alt currency situation that we're trying to suggest with festivals. Um, you know, there's, you're basically showing that there's uh, a direct, uh, direct exchange that goes on. And that direct exchange is what the, uh, one-to-one -one exchanges that the federal government seems to be problem having problems with, right? Because they can't, uh, or the, the the banking system, because mm -hmm. they can't actually uh, control those things. Yeah. But they can kind of be more aware of what's going on if everything is uh, out in front of the table, and then they can see what transactions are happening with each other. And uh, so, yeah, one of the things that we are trying to, to get people to understand is that all currency systems are just that. They're they're basically uh, uh, industry-run um, systems that uh, the, the currency is all about the industry, uh, the system of the industry itself, versus being a larger uh, currency model that actually is covering uh, multiple systems. Right. So we are trying to uh, we are trying to dis to, to get the. Uh, festivals to basically contribute first and then uh, purchase from each other within that system the different uh, the different uh, uh, transactions or the different transactions so you think that that basically is the solution that uh, so we should basically create credit unions for uh, cannabis so they actually tried to do that in Colorado there was a law that actually uh, passed in 2013 or 2014 um, yeah Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, sure. Yeah, right. We've got fifteen minutes. We've got yeah. fifteen minutes. Okay. Uh, yeah, about a cannabis right, cool. credit co-op. Okay. Yeah. Talk about talk about the talk about the two to E. We've got hey, a special hey, guest. Yes. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Hey, Hello. Hey. Steve. Steve. Jared. Tyler. Hey, Tyler. Jared. Brian. 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 Andrew. Andrew. Where do you want me? Right there. Right here. Right there we go. Okay, uh, our audience, we have a special guest. Jared is actually uh, a gubernatorial governor, uh, candidate for That's our governor right. here in Colorado. And uh, since we're talking about uh, the limitations of the cannabis industry mm -hmm. uh, relative to financial management, financial transactions, banking, and, banking and issues relative, relative to mm -hmm. that, it would be great to hear what, uh, what you have to say. Yeah, it's a it's a big problem. Um, just last week, I offered uh, an amendment around the tax deductions, 280E. That's one of them. That sounds really obscure, but what it means is you're paying more uh, because what it means is businesses that are selling marijuana can't deduct their legal business expenses, like their payroll, all of their costs that every business does. So they're basically paying like 60, 70 percent tax. So that's passed on to you. That's one of the reasons um, that it's more expensive than it should be. The, uh, the second thing is the banking issue, that's right. So a lot of the, the legal businesses have trouble even getting a bank account. Um, it's really ridiculous. Um, and of course, even bigger, how do they get investors when there's a fear about, oh, there could be uh, you know, an enforcement action or there could, the investors could be threatened. And so it makes it harder for the industry to expand. So there's a lot of these force forces that are aligned, aligned to kind of keep, the, keep people down but um, I think with time we'll overcome them. I mean, we're getting more and more support every day, uh, and we're you know we saw people like 
um, uh, Senator Schumer and John Boehner just in the last few days come out and supported marijuana legalization. So that's the trend, but the federal government just has to get out of the way and let Colorado do what Colorado's going to do. Right, and, and I think we would probably all agree with you that, and we were just actually, before you stepped in, talking about a possible solution where a cannabis industry is creating its own kind of uh, credit union situation mm -hmm. or its own currency situation. And But what would the... Uh, the state and federal structure uh, do to push back on that, or would they? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I think the issue is, you know, the banks are federally regulated, but um, a state credit union could be a great idea. I think people have been talking about that for a couple of years yeah. now about how we could have something that is a state chartered bank or a credit union as opposed to a federally chartered bank. Um, you know, you still have to deal with deposit insurance to make sure they don't give you a hard time about that because depositors want to know that they're their money's insured. But I think that there's definitely some ways we can find some workarounds around that, you know, where we can just say, until the federal government fixes it, we're gonna do more here in Colorado. You know, we need to have a administration that's really gonna focus on providing those kinds of financial alternatives. Yeah. Would you guys, uh, I mean, do you think the FDIC would get behind something like that? That's the question, I don't know. I mean, you know, I don't know if anybody's approached him yet, right? Um, <laughs> So let's write the letter. Yeah, yeah, you know, you got to do it. Um, I know there's been talk of having like a credit union type situation yeah. or a state charter bank for a while. But yeah, um, we'd want to make sure it didn't. It was federally insured. Um, they wouldn't want to run afoul of like asset forfeiture laws. You also need to have a, it needs to be big enough. I mean, there's going to be enough people participating and uh, that it is able to do business. And so I'm, I, you know, I wonder, it probably could be done with cannabis alone, but it would be better to have it a little more diverse. It just yeah. always is. I mean, you never want to bank is to have all of everything tied to one industry um right. so but i think that that could be like the anchor of you know, the industry that kind of gets it started right well uh in terms of the the one industry situation we were talking about potential alt currency situations and, and alt currency actually does work best when it's within a uh you know a, a smaller node or a smaller group the universal currency issue means you have to deal with multiple uh you know, multiple mm -hmm. uh, industries and uh, the differences that those multiple industries have. So you're suggesting that that would be... It's harder because if you look at it like, if you're like a dispensary or your business, your expenses are in dollars. And right. so you have to pay dollars for rent, you're probably dollars for payroll, Good, you know, dollars for lots of things. So either you're going to need to convert all the time or you just need to do business in dollars, which is usually the easiest. Well, with all currencies, unless the there's a, a more a benefit, a larger benefit for you to maintain your uh, of, uh, resources within your circle of business transactions uh, versus switching them out, which is what we uh, in the all currency uh, uh, business is trying mm -hmm. to, to present. Yeah. To people. yeah, you want the I mean you want them to work together basically. That's right. what you're saying, but. But, I mean, it's still not going to be everything they need. I mean, they're going to need dollars, right? Yeah, well, yeah. eventually, if you're going to do any kind of transactions outside of your, your yeah. group, your uh, business group, then you're going to have to negotiate transactions with other business groups. Yeah, like the hard one being, because it's a big expense, this is Denver, real estate is a big expense. So, like, good luck finding a landlord, right. you yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> so, the ones, yeah, right. so that's probably, that's probably one of the harder ones to find. Okay. Awesome. Well, uh... This is good. Do we have? Uh, I think that we might be close to out of time. It has a great. Uh, it's a great concept. This concept of um, of complementary currencies or alternative currencies. Um, there's a very uh, 
good uh, book written about it um, uh, that I'll look up in a minute. I have to look up my iPhone. What's called? I'm trying to remember. Ber Bernard something or other. He's one of the guys who'd invented the euro, and he wrote a book on complement. He calls it complementary currencies, but it's the same basic concept. I think they have a lot of potential in a lot of things, but um, certainly to kind of keep the business within the community uh, is a good way of, of doing it. And especially because of the um, the industry has the added problem of just not being able to operate fully within the current banking system. It's a real issue, right? Right. Yeah. So I guess, you know, as, as I, I'm a person who's definitely into states' rights. And, yep. <laughs> and uh, you know, the states do, in some sense, uh, agree to be a part of this federal, federal system in terms of federal financial system. And, uh, you know, how do we actually, uh, you know, as states who are uh, saying we yeah. want this industry and we're legitimizing mm -hmm. this industry, actually go to that federal government and say, hey, uh, this is what we want. Yeah, it's just time to push back. I mean, against against President Trump, against Jeff Sessions, yeah. um, and we need to lead the way in Colorado. Uh, Rethinking Money by Bernard Leiter, L-I-E-T-A-E-R, hmm. talks about, um, it's a book you guys might want to check out, too. Yeah, we'll have to so check that out. Yeah. Yeah. You can't yeah. find it in a bookstore. you got to get it online. It's pretty obscure. I was just going to say that, uh, so, you know, in the past couple of years, that fight has actually happened in Colorado with the Fourth Corner Credit Union. Mm -hmm. So this was a, a credit union that was actually chartered uh, by the state of Colorado for the purposes of dealing with cannabis businesses. And they tried to get a master account from the Federal Reserve. They were unable to get a master account from the Federal Reserve to deal with cannabis businesses because they decided that it was illegal. And it, you know, not decided, but it's illegal under federal law. So actually, uh, Fourth Quarter Credit Union recently just did get a charter, but they can only work with CBD and hemp businesses because of the authorizations on their farm bill and the greater degree of, of federal legality with that. But you, again, part of the problem, as Jared was saying, is that when you're dealing with one industry, a bank really, they don't like risk, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's a big problem if all of a sudden there's a, yeah. you know, a shock to your industry yeah. and all of a sudden that bank then is taking on all that risk because they're not diversified. And so, you know, maybe we can expand that out with the diversification within the cannabis industry when you're dealing with something like, you know, hemp, CBD, industrial right. hemp, you know, medical applications for things like that, in addition to the licensed and regulated businesses mm -hmm. that exist in each of the states. Right. But you're still, it's a category that, you know, I think that the best thing to, to do would just be to get these banks more comfortable at large. Okay. All right, we're going to we're gonna pull it. We're going to go a little bit longer at this one, but we're going to pull in one more uh, guest. We should uh, talk about him, too. We, so we've, got, uh, we've got a bunch of sponsors here, and let me take this <clears throat> a little bit of time to actually thank those sponsors. Well, we have the Green Solution, which is the largest sponsor for 420 on the block. But for the education program, we also have a bunch of other sponsors. So we have Steve's Goods, which Steve is here with, right? We have Hemp and Heal, right? With, uh, Jonah is here. And uh, we have a bunch of other sponsors uh, that uh, we've been talking with and have helped us to develop this uh, podcast program. Spectra Art Space and, uh, uh, you know, KGNU and uh, talk launch. So we've got a whole bunch of businesses that are really on board to help educate people. And I'm really happy that you guys are all here. Uh, so Jonah, just yes. real quick before we head out, we've also got Jared, who's a candidate for nice to meet you, governor here, right? Excellent. <laughs> Talking Excellent. about uh, 
you know, issues with uh, what to do with your weed money is what we were saying. You know, that sure. you have an industry that's legal in Colorado, people are bringing in cash, but we have these federal, uh, federal restricted issues or restrictions based on these issues. And uh, we were just at the point of, you know, our end uh, point of, well, what do, what can we all do together uh, now that we have, you know, uh, a governor candidate who could potentially be the governor of the state of Colorado. We have businesses that uh, are here uh, in Colorado. Uh, we have professionals who are very clear on the financial situation and the laws in Colorado, as well yes. as uh, partners from out of state like yourself. Yeah. Uh, what can we do uh, to, to help create this situation? Uh, that we can all come together sure. and uh, financially exchange I, without having this watchdog above yeah. us called the federal government telling us that every transaction we do is problematic. I think the structure of it is sustainability, to be self-sustained. Yeah. So the whole point of Hemp and Heal is to develop self-sustainable communities for veterans, putting them to work, growing hemp, um, we have 30 pilot programs, 30 states passed pilot programs, which we're under, which is approved by the federal government under through the university. So those are happening all over the country. And by building communities and empowering veterans to produce the products and then we sustain them, by doing that, um, you can make 50,000 items out of hemp. So the main thing we do with Hemp and Heal is we target specifically doctors. We're at four hospitals with seven oncologists, we're in four countries where we're growing hemp, sending shipping containers retrofitted with CO2 extraction labs, vertical grow ops, teaching them how to do it, like the Coca-Cola syrup. Yeah. Teach them how to build the communities, how to bring a revenue stream in for a self-stable community, and how to keep jobs going. So that's the whole point of our company, is to educate and empower the community, help the veterans, the homeless, the people that need it, but also producing work and creating community. So you're, you're, you're basically suggesting that that node, instead of just being industry level, is community level. Correct. And that everybody Correct. is working, like the state of Colorado, all of us, all of the industries in the state of Colorado are would recognize that, you know, the marijuana industry mm -hmm. is now an industry that the people of Colorado have agreed to, that they want uh, here, and that it's bringing revenue, and we know that uh, revenue goes to education, mm -hmm. uh, revenue goes to uh, a lot, you're talking about veterans, mm -hmm. a lot of uh, the recurrent revenue is going to assist yeah. a medical situation with revenue. And, and that's the biggest thing is education. So as an example, uh, Colonel Philip Blair, the uh, head medical doctor for the entire U.S. Army, Colonel Philip Blair, runs our ongoing monthly doctor training programs. Every month we have a live webinar to train doctors to teach him and educate him about this because it's not being taught in Harvard and all these other medical schools. Right. So we partner with Normal. Normal Dale Edelman represents our products and sells it. We partnered with the largest dispensary in the country because they didn't know about hemp. They just prescribed marijuana, not full spectrum. So it's education, which is the biggest part of expanding the, not just community, but the understanding of how powerful this plant is, not just for consumption, but for building, like hempcrete and insulin and anything you could possibly think of. So that's what we're about. It's about expanding hemp into other areas. Textiles we're growing in, you know, things like that. So Which is education. What I advocate. would go back to Jared and say what kind of, I mean, you've, uh, you're not governor yet, but you've obviously looked at uh, different uh, allotments of yeah. finances, resources from our state. Do you feel that our state is actually 
doing that kind of comprehensive thing going to the different industries? So I've been working on this stuff in Congress for, for a while, and I've, I've authored the regulate marijuana-like alcohol bill, which is our goal to pass that. But I can tell you that hemp is going to move faster. We even might uh, get some clarification in this upcoming ag bill really in the next few weeks. So, I mean, this could happen in right. a couple months here. To, to all the way to get done. I mean, we're, the house is going to do it in the next few weeks, where we actually uh, formally allow for you know hemp seed to be uh, moved across state lines. A lot of things to get in the way now. I mean, we have it in Colorado. There's over 200 uh, hemp farms. I've been to hemp farms in eastern Colorado on the Nebraska border. It's exciting to see, yeah. but uh, we can't really fully take it to scale until we just deal with um, like right now. If you're a farmer growing hemp, you have to pay for your own testing, and if it comes out wrong, you have to pay to destroy your own crop. <laughs> I mean, that's a huge risk, right? Yeah. But every other country that has legal hemp production, you grow certified seed, that's your responsibility. You're done. You just have to grow certified seed. That's where we need to get it here. Right. And I'm, I'm optimistic. I mean, I literally think we're just maybe, you know, a year or two away from, like, being there with hemp. It's, it's The marijuana piece is taking a little bit longer for Congress. They're just behind the states, behind the country. But they're getting there on hemp. They're almost there. And, and hemp to me is the most important thing because you can do so much with it. Marijuana is a good medicinal medicine as well. But the hemp is, is a weed. It grows all year round. It's all different conditions. You can make so many different strains and textiles and stuff with it. Creates more revenue. Bring a job check. Bring a better fact. Yeah. So to me, that's like the main focus is to spread the education. Because without educating people, everyone thinks it's just marijuana and you're getting high. That's, that's why we go, we're in hospitals. That's why we're doing this. That's yeah. why we're doing this, too. <laughs> Got to educate the people and, on that yeah, hemp is not just about getting high. It's about, you know, building community and education. And resources for and as Congressman Pulse was saying, it's, it's amazing how fast some of this education is expanding. You yes. know, recently we saw yes. a Mitch McConnell, uh, you know, not, not only supporting yeah. Um, the hemp legislation, but also sponsoring that hemp legislation, fast tracking. It's good to have friends in high places. places. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, what's great about that is that you know Kentucky's economy, where you know he's, he's, he's the lead senator with our pilot program, where we work with him. And it's you know it's really cool to see that like you know so many economies see the potential in mm -hmm. the hemp from an industrial perspective that you know maybe had really good agricultural uh, you know work on on other sorts of. Uh, industries that maybe aren't doing as well mm -hmm. now and and right. they see kind of hemp as maybe filling some of those gaps in the agricultural industry in, in places like Kentucky and so the the ability to expand that uh, and really see it not just from uh, the 2014 farm bill that was really looking at market research and studies but really now looking at kind of full-on commercial sales which has kind of happened to a large degree in the intervening years uh, you know it's really kind of exciting and for 200 years you had to grow hemp in this country <laughs> if you did not grow hemp in Virginia, right. hemp for victory. Yeah, I cannot let this conversation escape without uh, being the social economist that I am, being skeptical of uh, you know the motivations for people like Mitch McConnell, yeah. uh, who is taking <laughs> dollars from big pharma. Let's just face it. So uh, I, I mean, I yes, I I, I want, I would love to make sure that our state. Is coming together and creating community, uh, and actually utilizing the the, the dollars and the, and the other financial and other resources that have come together. But at the same time, I don't I don't we shouldn't uh, uh, think that because uh, you know uh, uh, Mr. McConnell is, yeah. is now on board that he's on board because he's really thinking about the people. Of Colorado. So it, it was it was you know he's thinking about the people of Kentucky, but it was becoming yeah. his old position was becoming a political liability for him in Kentucky because they had an ag commissioner elected in Kentucky. We don't elect ours in Colorado; it's appointed by the governor. 
Maybe I should point a hemp farmer ad commissioner if I'm different. Yeah, it was <laughs> um, but um, no, anyway, in Kentucky, it's elected. So they had when he's now a, co a colleague of mine in Congress. Uh, Comer is his name. He uh, ran on hemp, got elected Republican, primary Republican commissioner on hemp. Thomas Massey, a Republican colleague in the House, ran on hemp. And so Mitch McConnell was there. He was like one of the last Republicans that, and Rand Paul has always been for it too. He was kind of, and he was kind of out of touch with where the people were there, and he find, and so it wasn't so much the big money, I don't think, because there isn't any big money there yet. There will be, uh, but uh, but I think it was just him being like, "Wow, this is where the people are," and I don't like, really I don't think he cares that much one way or the other personally. So he just, you know, he just went with where the political winds were, were flowing, you know. Well, uh, that is yet to be seen. Motivations for other people yeah. <laughs> in terms of my position, but uh, I think uh, if there's no other. Uh, uh, points we need to say i think we need to kind of wrap it up so this has been absolutely amazing to have uh, you thank guys you. on my on the couches i guess <laughs> and uh, we want to also thank the guys uh, from weedstream who actually uh, allowed us to use their uh, um, uh, airstream today and uh, it's really cool here at 420 the box so Thank all of you again for participating. Thank all of our sponsors, and uh, good luck Thank this you. year. And uh, we you. hope that uh, uh, that uh, all all is well with everybody and their businesses. And thanks for joining us. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one, y'all. See you soon. Thank you. Thanks. Awesome.